All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. How are you doing this week, Katie? I'm okay, you? I'm really good. Wow, why are you so good? What's happening? So Weird. remember how I told you about that new strategy about just sort of not following the news? Yeah, a couple months ago. Yeah, I don't I don't know when it was exactly. I just sort of had this new idea about I just I'm not gonna pay attention unless I have to thing. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm just so much happier. I don't I, I don't go on social media and you don't? What do you do with all your time? I mean, relatively rarely I go on social media now and like we went to war last week and I didn't even know about it for a long time and that on the one hand that's fucked up and the other hand it it, it you know it, it's yeah but to, to be fair that's not on I mean I, I don't want to give you too much credit I feel like you're kind of humble bragging for ignoring the the war coverage but no that I know it's terrible I feel bad there, but no but but you're implying that there is war coverage oh there wasn't barely Oh, well, see, I didn't know that. Oh, right. You wouldn't know that because you wouldn't yeah. know. I get it. Yeah. So, but you right? somehow found out. By the way, I'm going to go on to Matt's Twitter, see how true this is that he hasn't been on social media. He Not did much. say relatively. Yeah. What's your, what, uh, Wilson, what's, we should figure out what is, what's Matt's tweet per hour situation right now. Let's see. I'm going on to his. I mean, thing. I do it when I got to post something, but I go days without being on. Oh, yeah. You're right. What's today's, you, your last one besides that was June 28th. Mm hmm. Wow, Matt, I'm impressed. Yeah. Whoa. And I, I, I can I can feel myself becoming like like a slightly less shitty person with each passing. Yeah, moment. Your, your grin chart is expanding. Definitely. Just wow. don't just don't do it. Just don't tweet. It's like it's like don't eat like not eating cheeseburgers or, or smoking cigarettes like your brain unclouds. I'm actually really except surprised. for this show. Right. This show is where you get every where your brain clouds. No, no, no. You, you should definitely make time to, to listen. Oh, I see. Watch the show. Yeah. show. Yeah. Go on the Internet yeah. and spend as much time as you can watching and rewatching. Yeah, uh, I like show. that. Yeah. Right. Watch useful idiots cloud your brain. Right. And then then give it some time off. You know, take a walk. Hold a child's hand, preferably yours. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. A dog right. paw. A dog paw. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, someone tweeted out how much Joe Rogan mentioned to you. Oh, yeah. Again. Anyway, that's really just my attempt to, to reach out to Joe Rogan and say, Joe, we know you love Matt. You mention him all the time. Maybe you like me. We haven't met. We haven't really corresponded. But it's enough. Your love for Matt, your mutual love for Matt is enough to justify your coming on the show. So I, I, on behalf of Matt Taibbi. Right. He would never come on the show. How do you know? He just wouldn't. Uh, so that's why I, I'll, I'll never ask. Well, you see what you're doing there, Matt? A hundred percent of the shots not taken never right. make it into the basket. Am I right, guys? Wilson, yes, am I right? Yes, but yeah, on the other hand, shot selection in basketball, that's why you don't take shots you're not going to make. Is So that... Well, all right. I will say this, though. Matt Taibbi's very cultural, very culturally Catholic thing, shtick, makes it so he does think, besides Rogan, I do get the sense that you think it's like asking people a favor to come on the show, which, which does crack me up. I mean, it is, but people also want to come on the show. Yeah, occasionally. Matt's yeah. like, apologies, 
Would you like to come on the show? Apologies. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I literally saw, do that. <laughs> you do do that. I saw a forwarded email and you were like, I mean, it wasn't released. It wasn't like leaked. You just forwarded it to me to so we'd have like the logistics about a taping. And it's like, do you want to come? Do, do you want to come on? Totally get it if you don't want to. <laughs> I do. You're negging yourself. I did you date that way when you were single? Where you're like, would you want to drink? I totally get it if you don't want to. You probably don't want to. No, I mean, I why did I even ask? Definitely not. No. All right. No, that's different. That's different, right? Well, you need to approach booking our show the way you approach dating. No, I don't. Nobody wants that. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> What's a middle ground? Or or somebody else can do all the booking. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but why don't you practice on me? Pretend I'm Joe Rogan. Let's just practice. There. Okay. Here I am doing nothing. I'm not. See. You won't even ask in a role play. Right. Why? Why would I? What this if we can practice with this on the show? I don't know. I think this could really get Rogan on. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Matt, I think what if what if I'm gonna find out? We gotta get this. What if the one thing between Ro Joe Rogan coming on Useful Idiots and Rhea and the and the status quo is Matt's invite? In all in all seriousness, in in business, you, you, there's a finite number of things you can ask of people. So right. you have to be selective about. Oh, and since you've ha he's had you on your show, I get it if you don't want to ask him to come on our show, I get it. But luckily for you, there's another show called the Katie Halper Show. <laughs> and what you can do is just ask for that one, because I totally get it if you feel awkward. He, I think, he, yeah. He doesn't do, inter I mean, I've talked to him about this, he doesn't yeah. do interviews. Like, they, they tend, they, enough of them have worked out badly that they, Oh, yeah, that I'm kidding. Do I don't really expect him to come on the Katie Halper Show. Anyway. Yes, no, I'm very Catholic about asking people favors, yeah. so. yeah. I'm self-hating. I have to confess my sins all the time. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. so funny. I totally get it if you don't want to come on, but if you do want to come on, you know, right. come on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, anyway, I feel better. And, Good. And, uh, but now let's get into all the, the, the shitty things that I didn't pay attention to this week. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of them, right? So much. Yeah. A lot yeah. of them. Yeah. So should so, we just jump into the four? Should just, we just binge? Let's just go straight into the binge, four food binge, uh, binge on the four food groups. OK, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, in Democrat sucking, we have an, uh, a story about uh, Nina Turner, friend of the show, as people are aware, she's running for Congress uh, to replace Marsha Fudge. Uh, Marsha Fudge, by the way, just a reminder, she is a black former member of Congress from Ohio. She said that she was tired of black people just being considered for um, Department of Labor and HUD. Mm. And Joe Biden delivered and named her to HUD. So mm -hmm. she is now at HUD um, because Joe Biden likes. I that's guess, kind of that's kind of messed up by on, on both their parts, actually. Yeah, it's true. She I it's mean, it's kind I, of a double own. It is double own. I'm going to blame Biden more than her because I think it's hard to turn down a, a, you know, a cabinet position. Yes, I guess so. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it would be great for her to be principled. I mean, what should she, she I would have gone into for? the private sector and made 50 times the money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, Nina then, Turner. Then again, if you don't get, sorry to interrupt, if you don't take the cabinet job, then you're not going to later get the bigger private yeah, sector exactly. job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how the revolving door works, right? So, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. So uh, Nina Turner, uh, who was a state senator of Ohio, also, as people probably know, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, surrogate and then a Bernie Sanders campaign chair, co-campaign chair, uh, Bernie Sanders for president. She's running on a platform of Medicare for all and a living wage, housing as a human right. 
and uh, she uh, is polling at 50% in the 13th uh, candidate primary for Ohio's 11th district. Dave Sirota and Julia Rock have a great article, Dems launch proxy war on Medicare for all. Dems bankrolled by Big Pharma are suddenly targeting Nina Turner right after she aired an ad touting Medicare for all. Obviously, she's you know a threat to the status quo because she supports those good things. And uh, this means that what's, what has to happen because of that? Obviously, House Majority Whip James Clyburn, who is, by the way, among the top recipients of pharmaceutical uh, industry PAC money in both the House and Senate. Okay, that's a pretty big deal, right? He's a member of the House. He's a congressman, but he's the biggest recipient of all of them. Oh, I was going to say, like, is he somehow both in the Senate as well? But, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he uh, he joined uh, luminaries like Hillary Clinton in supporting candidate Chantel Brown. And he told the New York Times, what I try to do is demonstrate by precept and example how we are to proceed as a party. Now, Clyburn also, of course, famously intervened for. Uh, well, he decided the presidency. He decided the presidency, basically, right? Yeah. So I want to, you know, sometimes we do the useful idiots bump where we claim credit for something. We have a couple of those this week, but but I think that one of them this week that we can claim is that uh, Clyburn did not endorse Nina Turner because that would have been a terrible stain on her campaign to have uh, such a corporate chill. Oh, you're uh, trying to you're trying to like reverse mind fucking, yeah. right? Well, it's like when it's like when um, Alan Dershowitz like. Uh, endorsed Tom Perez and threatened to leave the Democratic Party if if Keith Ellison became the DNC chair. It's like that is the best endorsement of uh, right. Keith Ellison. Yeah. I, That's I've sort ever of a seen. don't don't throw me in that there bureau patch kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So uh, but I thought, you know, we are talking about Democrats suck. And sadly, uh, the New York Times is what would you how would you describe the relationship between the New York Times and, and Democrats? Inseparable? I don't know. Identical? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't even Stenographer. view them as a diff, different institution, right. actually. So yeah. I thought it'd be worth reading the uh, the article that the New York Times uh, put out on this story, because it's one of those things where it's kind of meta. It's not just the story. It's not just that Clyburn comes out of, you know, the woodwork to endorse uh, Nina Turner's opponent. Uh, it's also the way it's, it's presented by the media. Uh, number three House Democrat steps into Ohio race to head off a Sanders acolyte, which I think is an interesting way of putting it. Um, the decision by Representative James Clyburn to oppose an outspoken ally of Senator Bernie Sanders in a special election in Cleveland highlights the generational and ideological gulf in the Democratic Party. Now, in a way that's honest, right? Because he's framing it as a Sanders-related battle. And I think that for so many people, this is about Sanders. It's also about, much like the Sanders thing, it's about like progressive issues. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit weird. I don't know. What do you think? Acolyte? I think it's a weird thing to to describe her as. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I'm not sure if I would love it if I were her, but. You think it's like an accurate description or? It depends. I mean, you're, 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 you're shorthanding it for an audience that's not a Cleveland audience. So it's um, right. technically, right. That's uh, tough. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a little weird. That's a little weird, right? I mean, Acolyte, what is it? It's. A person assisting in the celebration, assisting the celebration in a religious service or procession. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a pawn. Follower. Like, no, it's not a pawn. I don't know. There's something weird, I think, and judgmental about it. Like, 
Well, especially because the New York Times hates Bernie Sanders so much. So, right. Well, again, they're framing this for their audience, which oh, right, which yeah, they they think hates Bernie Sanders. So they're they're that's why they're trying to play this up because they want people to click on the story. Yeah, I get it's right. So, but here's what I I like about this story, and it was written by um on John Weiss Jonathan Weissman, mm -hmm. who's also a novelist apparently. Um, what kind of novels? Uh, Jonathan Weissman is a congressional correspondent, veteran Washington journalist, and author of the novel Num Number Four Imperial Lane and the nonfiction book Semitism with three parentheses, you know, around Semitism, that word, being Jewish in America in the age of Trump. His career in journalism stretches back 30 years. I'll have to yeah. check it out. Yeah, we should have him on. How many, how it. many, how many journalists have successfully made the jump and have actually become good novelists? I don't know. I mean, there's plenty actually. Oh, Michael Connolly, if you like detective novels. Oh, uh, yeah. Then there are lawyers who become novelists, right? But that's a different one. There's some Russians that I can think of. Um, of course, Matt. Why does yeah. your head go there? Sorry. Uh, a lot of people start out as... We'll have to come back to that subject. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Anyway, so so here's, I mean, basically it, it, the split between Turner and her opponent, Chantel Brown, is you know between the the two wings of the democratic party so you see this in the endorsements also so the um Tur so nina turner was endorsed by aoc ayanna presley ilan omar rashida tlaib um and then on the other hand uh chantelle was endorsed by clyburn hillary clinton richard cordry representatives joyce Beatty of ohio uh and the chairwoman of the congressional black caucus and moderate Democrats like moderate Democrats like Representative Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey and David Trone of Maryland. One second, though, let's just pause there. Josh Gottheimer is not moderate. He's like a Trump Democrat. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a totally right wing. He's not moderate. OK, he's bad on everything. Like he's Trumpy on everything from the border to, you know, uh, salt. He's obviously really bad on that. Actually, that would make him non Trumpy. Right. You know him. You've written about him through in your anti-Semitic oh, attack. That's right. That's right. I forgot I was an anti-Semite because I because I, I was writing about the the his fraternity that I didn't. Yeah. No, he's Jewish. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. He's no. He's it's the other way. He's non-Trumpy. No, he's Trumpy. Except on the salt thing. Yes. Right. So ignore that part because and that is like an exception because even Trump is an exception on that. Right. Like, because Trump happens to be well, on the right side of that for the wrong reasons. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he was just doing it to mess with the Democrats. Right, yeah. Again, respect the work, but. Yeah, yeah. good hustle, yeah. Right. No, he's awful. Like, he, he, I'll have to, uh, yeah, he pushed for the, for Trump's border wall. Uh, mm. He backed the budget for funding the border wall. He's a total, like, uh, hack. Mm. Just mm -hmm. so he's not a moderate. I mean, I don't like moderates, so I'm not, you know, I have no skin in the game. He just happens to not be moderate. Like for me, it's an insult to be moderate anyway. Right. But he's not a moderate. Okay. Anyway, just wanted to clarify that, Jonathan, from one Jew to another. But this is my favorite part of the uh, of the article, which which says to this day, some Democrats say Ms. Turner's hostility cost Mrs. Clinton key votes on the left in the swing states that decided the 2016 election. Oh my God, that, that's not quoting anybody? Who else yeah. was quoted in that piece? Let's see, Turner, surprisingly enough. No, 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 like quoted some, no, who, who, who talked to Wiseman? I'm looking right now, let's see, we got- um, 
a little clue, folks. This is this is how you do this is how you do sleuthing about where stuff came from. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm looking. Let's see. All right. So obviously, Clyburn. When something is not like a rote observation, like it was, you know, the sky was blue on Thursday, and there's like a sort of an opinion in the piece. Okay. To this day, some Democrats say Ms. Turner's hostility cost Ms. Ms. Clinton key votes on the left in the swing states that decided the 2016 election. Okay, this reporter is, this is this guy, uh, Wiseman, right? Yeah. He's not going to just say that, okay? He's not going to just put that in the piece. He also doesn't want to tell you where, where it came from. But when, you, when you're reading an article like this, just look at who the quoted people are in the article and then sort of do the math yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless there's in like an unnamed source, but usually they'll refer to that as well. They'll say like, you know, right. Four people I mean, familiar yeah. with the situation, right. whatever it is. But here it's an, it's an on the record, Jim Clyburn. So this is Jim Clyburn talking, but not talking. Right. And which is like a gift that reporters will give to an interview subject. This is sort of like the, I scratch mine, my back, you scratch yours yeah. thing. Like I'll give you the interview, but you got to like sort of speak uh, with my words a little bit. It's not an explicit thing. They just, it's just something that's done. That's Clyburn saying, I want you to say that, that Turner lost the election for, for Hillary right. in 2016, which is like pretty messed up. It's really messed up, but I kind of assume that they, I mean, look at like, you know, friend of the show, Sydney, uh, Melbourne, Melbourne, like, sorry, why did I say Sydney Ember? That's really funny. I call her Sydney Melbourne because, uh, Australian city. No, but look at this. I mean, if we if we take Sydney Melbourne, I like that. <laughs> yeah. If we if we, we should what call her that? No, we should have a Sydney Melbourne detective series, like Detective Sydney <laughs> yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Like, I actually think that the New York Times is very capable of just putting in its own opinion and pretending it's fact. No, they wouldn't do that. Not in this case. Really? This is this. That's like uh, I'm going to say it's ninety-eight percent of that, it, that 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 came from Clyburn. Huh? Either that or his aide. Okay. It's whoever set up the interview. Right. Or but Clyburn. So is it because you think it's beneath the New York Times? Well, which is worse, no. actually? Which is worse? Do you think? No, this is worse. This 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 is how this is like you know, a little fourth wall stuff. Yeah. Like, so when you're doing stories like this here, you know, whoever you're talking to, there's obviously lots of dialogue that doesn't go into the story between you and whoever the sources are, like whoever alerts you to whatever it is. Sometimes it might be like a member of somebody's staff. They want you to do a story on X. I'll get you an interview with my person. Then you have a little talk about what yeah. the issues are. Right. So all that stuff becomes internalized in your mind. The reporter is not going to make an observation like that on his or her own that 100 percent comes from somebody and it's you're, it's just a way of kind of like massaging your interview subjects a little bit you're 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 throwing them a little yeah. favor all right so and and you can in the business everybody does this stuff where you try to deduce where things came from like you know that's where it came from right case, so oh you know what you know what? This guy, uh, I remember he was demoted by the New York Times because he tweeted um, saying Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar are from the Midwest is like saying uh, Lloyd Doggett is from Texas or John Lewis is from the Deep South. Aren't they all? Yeah. What's the problem? I'm sorry. Oh, it just he's trying to suggest that these people don't represent the areas that they're from, I think. 
Oh. oh, fuck you, dude. Sorry, dude. I Okay, this guy fucking sucks. He wrote, he tweeted, Justice Democrats has backed, this is from, uh, oh, this guy is such a, sucks so hard. Sorry, For August 2019. This is amazing. Hold on. This is amazing. So in August 2019. Tell me how you really feel. Sorry, sorry, sorry. August 2019, he tweets, Justice Democrats has backed another primary challenger. This one's seeking to unseat an African-American Democrat. Joyce oh, Lee, yeah, there we go. Who represents Columbus. So guess what? You know why that doesn't work? Because the uh, challenger is also African-American? Yes. But you yeah. know what? He took it in stride. You know what he did? What? When she pointed out, she tweeted, I am also black. Mm-hmm. He wrote back. Congratulations. No. <laughs> Endorsement included a photo. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? He's either saying I did nothing wrong or he's saying you don't look sufficiently black. Oh, no. I think he's saying that I, that I let everybody know that by including the photo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's just saying I'm a dick and uh, and live with it, live with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is such a like, no, you were saying to me, no, what do you really think? Right. What do you really think, Jonathan Weissman? Like, you're really going to trot out that she's unseating an African-American woman. It's it's gross, disgusting politics. It's, it's so it's gross. Yeah. Has backed another pro how many that is a talking point i want to know like how many they love doing that they do that all the time and they don't even care as in this case if the person who is challenging the other person is black cory bush challenged a black man she's a black woman they love doing that remember they kept saying that during the primaries that justice democrats is targeting people of color well if you target them with other people first of all that's not actually the litmus test. There are bad people who are of color. Like there are good people who are of color. There are bad people who are white. There are good people who are white. I know I'm blowing everyone's minds right now, but to like flatten all politics and ideology to identity politics, obviously, or not even identity politics. To yeah, identity. it's not even identity. Yeah, it's, it's, to it's identity. Sort of half, it's ridiculous. Like Clarence Thomas. Identity. I wonder if he likes Clarence Thomas, Jonathan Weissman. I hope he does. Right. But, um, right. And in fact, he should, everyone who criticizes Clarence Thomas, I hope Jonathan Weissman indicts them for going after a, uh, a black justice. See, this is why I think it's totally conceivable that he was saying some Democrats say. I doubt it. I think you're giving him too much uh, respect. Isn't this I, just like the some say? No, because you're, you're editing. So even some say has to come from somewhere. Like the, yeah. you, you it could be him. He's a Democrat. Nah, <laughs> like you're, you're editing. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to just drop stuff in, in stories that aren't attributed to something. Well, you know what? That's really bad for Nina Turner because you know what Jim Clyburn is? What? The most progressive member of Congress. According ever. to? Jim Clyburn. Oh. He actually said there's nobody more progressive than Jim Clyburn. That's great. I love that. There ain't nobody in the Democratic Party of the United States of America that's more progressive than Jim Clyburn. John Weissman, who I'm going to propose to, by the way, because you can tell I really like him. But isn't it also weird that he wrote in this article in a rare intervention into a party primary, Mr. Clyburn, a veteran lawmaker and the highest ranking black member of Congress, endorsed Chantel Brown, Ms. Turner's leading opponent. He did that already. Why is that rare? What, what do you mean? What? All right. Well, they're saying in a rare in a rare intervention into a party primary, Mr. Clyburn uh, he, endorsed he... Chantel Brown. Oh, because he already endorsed her? Well, no, sorry, because with Bernie Sanders and Biden, it's now like a signature oh. move. In his second rare intervention in a party primary. Oh, right. 
Yes. Yeah. No. I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, if, the, if anything, that's the thing that he's known for. Yeah, so. he pulled a Clyburn. Right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Jonathan Weissman also quit Twitter. I forgot about that in 2016 over anti-Semitic bullying. But there should be like a people who quit Twitter club. Where where are there they? There should be. Yeah. Who's on that list? Freddie DeBoer. Uh, DeBoer. Freddie DeBoer. Um, but he's back, right? He's, yeah, he's back. Yeah. Off. Who else? They always come back. They always come back. Yeah. Weissman is back. I bet he wishes he stayed off because that's when he did those weird things about, you know, Rashida Tlaib not being from the Midwest. Yeah. What a prick. Sorry. What if, if I had a crush on him this whole time? That's not apparent. <laughs> yeah. That would if that, be. If that's what's going on. That's pretty funny. No, up. I'm just, I'm just thinking. Like I'm, I look obsessed. It reminds me of Michelle Wolf during her press. Um, the well, White House a little press bit thing, a... where she's like, I think you guys maybe have a crush on Donald Trump. You can't stop talking about him. Yeah, there's but a little bit of a bunny boiler thing going on there. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what that means, but I, I hate him. Uh, uh, Weisman? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can tell. Yeah. It could be like a, a, a Carville Matlin thing. Right. It's opposites attract yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that marriage is always really, really interesting. Well, actually, no, it isn't. It's actually They're both so attractive. On, obvious. With this. Anyway, uh, whatever. He sucks. And uh, so, right, sorry. Uh, so, so that sucks. Yeah. Okay. So for Republicans suck. There was a little bit of a choice this week, Matt, if we could open the story, the House votes to remove Confederate statues in the U.S. Capitol. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Okay, so here's the story. House representatives on Tuesday voted to remove all Confederate statues from public display in the U.S. Capitol, along with replacing the bust of former Chief Justice of the United States, Roger Taney, author of the 1857 Dred Scott decision that declared that people of African descent were not U.S. citizens. The House passed the measure 285 to 120. All Democratic members supported the legislation. All no votes came from Republican members. So the number here is 120 people voted to keep the statue of Jefferson Davis in the Capitol. The, the, the reasons for this were uh, they were they were all over the place. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a line. Alabama Republican Representative Mo Brooks previewed his no vote on the bill in a statement decrying, quote, cancel culture and historical revisionism, unquote. I support federalism and a state's right to vote for itself, who it should honor, it should be whom, right? As such, I will proudly vote no on HR 3005, Alabama, not New Yorkers, Californians, or anyone else uh, should decide who we wish to honor in Alabama's contribution to the natural national statutory statuary collection, the statement read. I, there's really not a whole lot to say here, except whatever reason you're coming up with to vote to keep Confederate statues in the Capitol is is probably like a bad reason. Just call in sick that day, you know, um, yeah. if you're worried, because I'm sure what it is, is that you you're worried about dog whistling your insane constituents and you don't want them to think you're actually voting against taking down Confederate statues. Heaven forbid. Yeah. Right. You know, just don't do it like. Find find a way not to do it. Right, call him sick. Be, yeah. Say that you're going, you're paying homage to like Robert E. Lee that day or something. It's like Robert E. Lee Appreciation Day. I don't know. Exactly. Say you're so you're doing like a national patchwork quilt of the Confederate flag. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That that'll keep you busy. Yeah. Can we click on the image of Taney, please? All right. Can we zoom in on that? See, I'm a Confederate supporter. I'm gonna vote to remove that. 
Like, yeah. just look at that face if we just zoom in more. I think that actually the anti, I think we on the, on we non-Confederate supporters should be p- nailing that into the wall, putting Why? it behind a glass because he's so creepy looking that mm. like what better a monument? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's, showing it, there, not There's telling. a little bit of a Lincoln thing in the eyes though, I gotta say. I guess, but it's the mouth, it's the, first of all, he has a kind of a 1950s bob or like six, he almost has like a Betty Friedan haircut, hairdo. Yeah, but that was a thing with dudes back then. I guess it was. I just think he's really ugly. My uh, my favorite writer, Nikolai Gogol, had hair just like that. Oh, okay. Well, no wonder you have a soft spot for his yeah. this guy's face. All right, so you disagree with my take that it actually would be good for the Confederate supporters to take him down because he's so ugly. I, I guess I can see that take. In fact, I think that the Confe- they're, the racists out there who want to who would want to keep him up should be mad at their at their representatives for for voting to who who think that they want see if they had if they had bold leaders the bold leaders would be like we like the confederacy which is why we got to take this ugly face down right because it's just bad pr it's bad pr yeah it almost makes them it almost makes them look un, unattractive it almost right. ruins the whole confederacy thing I also got to say, making a states' rights argument uh, in this particular issue is a little bit messed up, given the given yeah, the but situation. It's, it's pretty <laughs> I mean, on brand, though, right? No, I know, but I mean that's like, it's funny. Just, that's a funny concept because it's like obviously, if the guys are voting for the Confederacy like statues, it would be funny if they were like, but the state, you know, they're like the states' rights thing is problematic. Has problematic overtones. We right. Yes. Vote to keep them up. No, I know. It's just yeah. it, it's a it's a little tone deaf. Uh, you know, this, they're this, being tone deaf in their endorsement of the Confederacy. They could do a better job. Right. Yes, exactly. There, there are ways to do this. It would be a little bit more media friendly. I guess that's true. They could. Right. I mean, just emphasize the history the or just cancel thing or. Yeah, just don't you don't have to do the state's rights thing. Yeah, you don't have to do it or or just don't like one oh, of yeah, the things this, this reminded me of is um, so I used to live. I used to live right near Gorky Park uh in moscow and there is a there's a uh, a fallen i think it's called the uh fallen monument park and so after communism collapsed they just rounded up all the statues of like lenin and all and all the monsters of you know felix Dzerzhinsky, all those horrible people and they put them in this park where they they were all kind of tilting a little bit and overgrowing with weeds. And every now and then I would go in there and I would see these kind of like weird old holdouts sitting in front of a statue to Lenin or Dzerzhinsky or whoever. And, you know, they're just sitting in vigil for, for their lost heroes. Like do that. You know what I mean? Like take all these, yeah. these Confederate statues, put them somewhere and go, go sit with them in private. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. I think at some point you got to move on a little bit, I think. Yeah. You know, when like there's, you know, the people you're talking about were, for instance, no longer part of your government or I don't know. Right. Well, there actually is a very interesting argument to be had about how to deal with those monuments. Um, I I made a documentary on this monument called the Valley of the Fallen that is to honor the people who died in the Spanish. Sorry, the people who 
died fighting on the fascist side of the Spanish mm-hmm. Civil the War. Franco, Franco the Franco people. side, yeah. And there is an interesting discussion because you, I think you can keep things if you change the context. Like you can turn things into never again monuments. And I think sometimes it can almost be, there's a danger that you can whitewash history, but clearly in this context, it's not like, it's not, it, it, it's not in a never again way. Well, not if you're, not if you're keeping them still in the capital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For a I museum, mean, it's good, but yeah. All right. So that's Republicans suck. So for, isn't that weird? I thought we could go to do another story about a gender reveal party. Uh, this one is, uh, is very interesting, I would say, you know, we've we've done stories, I, I guess what makes us uh, heartwarming is that there's no actually, I was going to say there's no real violence, but that's maybe not true. Let's just wa- let's go to the videotape. This is a this is a gender reveal uh, announcement. And I'm gonna, I'm going to see if you can figure out if you can predict which gender is being announced. This match can be won by pinfall or submission. Take it away, Ralph. Alright, I want a good clean match. Team girl, good clean match, team boy. Alright, good clean match. Nothing dirty here. Here we go. Let's get it on. You have any predictions, Matt? Hold on, let me pause this. Can you pause for a second? So for people who are just listening to this podcast, uh, these are two men in a like ring like a an outdoor ring that was just made from what like a pop-up ring uh Mm -hmm. on the grass and they're both topless and wearing tutus one is in a pink tutu with pink tights and one is in a blue tutu with blue tights okay and there's they're they're they're, they're sort of hurling each other yeah yeah and there's a uh refer an umpire referee it's a girl Okay, the girl's on top at that point. Okay. Oh, no, no, she got. Uh, uh, oh, I see. Uh, they're good, right? Yeah, they are good. So a guy walked in with a chair and swatted one on the back. Nice. These are all WWE moves, right? Yeah, yeah. And we flop the pink over the blue. One, two, two. three. It's a girl. So it's a girl. I like like that one. Yeah, it's good, right? I guess for isn't that instead of isn't that weird, it's it's isn't that isn't that special. I like it also because it's like plays with gender stuff in a cool way. Yeah. It's like both like totally, you know boring and uh blue is is male pink is girl you know blue is boy pink is 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 girl but uh at the same time there are two men wrestling in tutus so it's like as subversive as you can be while while still being you know too gender limited that part of it was less funny for me but yeah but uh it's it's all (laughs) what what are you laughing at the chair no 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 no. it's all good yeah the, the the uh I wonder who scripted that. Yeah, it's pretty well scripted, right? Yeah, yeah, it was well done. It was very yeah. well done. So, isn't this uh, isn't that terrible? Uh, well, I love it. So, uh, Matt, if we could see the uh, CBS News story, spectator who caused massive crash at the Tour de France, uh, missing after fleeing the country. 
So the story is a spectator at the Tour de France who caused a massive crash, and, crash involving dozens of cyclists is missing as race authorities plan to sue her. Tour de France deputy director uh, Pierre-Yves Toul told the AFP news agency, isn't that redundant? Agence France Presse, Agence? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. They plan to sue the they woman. They want to give a lot of agency to them, though. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, they plan to sue the woman so that the tiny minority of people who don't do this don't spoil the show for everyone. However, uh, French publication Quest, uh, West France reported the woman who is believed to be German got on a, uh, that's mm, better, uh, yes. got, got on a flight and is untraceable, according to CBS Sports. At this point, you just want to scroll down and see the video because yeah. it, it's awesome. So, uh, Matt, if we can just take a look. Yeah, and then we should describe it also for. So it's, it's, it's the Tour de France stage. Uh, all these cyclists are starting out. They're cycling and... What's going to happen? How many people are going to get back up? Right, that this? sign again right on there, left Phil. Your picture? Oh, my, oh, my goodness me. Oh. So this woman, like, she's holding a sign out into the street and basically knocks, knocks over a cyclist. Yeah, causing other... Causing a massive domino effect. It's like yeah. a huge pileup. Nobody died or was seriously yeah. hurt, but it was bad. Still terrible. Yeah. Because it involves now she's a fugitive. Yeah, well, so that's that's hilarious that she's that she's like on the run forever. I was thinking about this after after seeing the story. There there are really did you know, Katie, that I was once a sports editor? Uh where Buffalo, Moscow? No, also in Moscow. Yeah, I was the uh, sports editor of the Moscow Times, so I had to do sports all the time. In fact, one of the reasons I laughed at the story is that I I worked for a European uh, boss who ordered me to do cycling stories all the time, even though I didn't think anybody was interested in them. But um, having done a lot of sports and watched all sports, there's really two categories of fan interference stories, and they're and they can both be like dramatic, life-altering events. The first version and katie do you know about the steve bartman incident no this is a fan and remember the chicago cubs at this point had not won the world series for like forever okay and this is a playoff game again in the air down the left field line a long reaching into the stands and couldn't get it he's livid with a fan so there's a guy here named steve bartman Reaches up to catch the ball. That's awfully close to fan interference right there. Oh, shit. So just for people who are are, are just watch, listening, right? It was a, a bat, a ball was hit. A ball was hit. Flying. A ball was hit, and it and the guy is trying to catch it. Yeah, the third baseman went down the third baseline. The third baseman was going to catch the pop-up, except the fan reached over. And, and, and yeah. sports fans know this, know this incident. It's, it's famous. Okay. Uh, our yeah. uh, friend Alex Gibney made a movie about this incident, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, Let's have him on the show. Because this guy had to go in into hiding, just like uh, the, wow. the Tour de France woman, Steve Bartman. Uh, so the the cutting to the chase there, the, the Cubs had not won basically in forever. This was a crucial out in a playoff game. If he doesn't touch the ball, the Cubs probably catch it and they maybe win the game because he touches it. It's fan interference and they get another and essentially the Cubs go on to lose. Uh, so the whole city of Chicago wanted to kill this person uh, who right. probably just was instinctively thinking, I want to catch the ball, but or didn't know the rule one or the other. Right. So that's I wouldn't have known the rule. Right. Exactly. So but there's. 
he reached over, right? It's totally kosher to catch it if it comes to you, right? Once it's over the fence. Yeah, I forget the exact. It's self-defense at that point. You, 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 you can't get in the way of the player. I see, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised so, that player didn't like freak out more. Well, he probably couldn't reach him. No, I mean, cursing. Like you see him cursing. He did, but he doesn't yeah, really curse. yeah. I mean, he, he probably, if he, he had, he, well, that, okay, then that brings us to the next category of fan incident. You know, when the fans, sometimes the players and the fans, things get completely out of line and they intentionally sort of try to interfere with the outcome, which is even worse. So like, for instance, the uh, Cleveland Browns slash unicorns. Fortunately, those bottles are plastic. It's the end of a football game. And these Cleveland fans, Browns are fans are mad at the referees. So they're throwing bottles on the field. They won't stop. And they're trying to the Browns are going to lose. Clear the end zone. And now they're going to call that the, is game. the end of the game. The referees call the game. Now they call the game. Well, that was the right for the against the Browns. Yeah, you got to take the fans go crazy. This has been and they start throwing even more stuff. Just a fiasco by the referees today. Well, that and Jeez, these that... officials really need to get off the field. And you know what? The fans got to stop throwing crap. We just saw a guy get hit in the head and he's down, split his head wide open. The fans have got to control themselves. People are getting hurt. It's ridiculous. You're only hurting yourself by throwing stuff on the field. So, and anyway. Officials are... it, wasn't there also a... There's like a uh, million of these. A, like NBA one where they, you know... No, but there was like a, so a football, a soccer player who I think scored an own, you know, a self-goal or whatever it's called. An own goal, yeah. And was killed. Was he? I didn't even I didn't hear about that. I Fans think killed so. him? Well, you know, pay more attention. You're playing. Seriously, yeah. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. But, well, you know what? What we just saw doesn't surprise me because this type of behavior is very uh, embedded into our culture. It's very entrenched. This is how if, I mean, it's not surprising that people respond that way to professional games when this is this is a viral video uh, of people at a little league game. Nice. They clip out the curses. The people people, anyway. people taking things a little little too seriously. Yeah. Oh, so you're trying to say that people because people take sports too seriously that they it's no surprise to you that they would do things like split somebody's head open with a bottle? Yeah. I mean, if that's how they respond to like a little league game. Right. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I could make the more anti-sports argument, but I don't want to do that because I'm already in uh, you know on thin ice with with sports people. I can't piss them off because right. I know so much about sports that it triggers them. I mean, I, I think let's just let's just put our cards on the table. It's not appropriate to act like that with a kid's game. But I, if, you know, you're a referee and you you call a game prematurely, you should, you know, your life should be at stake. I think yeah. that's, you know, I think that's fair. Yeah. It matters. So, uh, so but but I I do feel for the, the Tour de France lady. Yeah, me too. It was Except a, it was she's a, German. Right. But but you know what? The first bicyclist to fall apparently was mm -hmm. a German too. Really? So if this was some she's kind of espionage, it didn't work or she's self-loathing. Yeah. Right. Wonder where she's going to end up. Belgium. That's a pretty funny Switzerland. thing. Like... Switzerland. Switzerland. Cause it's neutral. Neutral. 
Now there's lots of cycling fans in Switzerland. I think she's going to have to go to someplace like Arizona. Ooh, I will. You know what I mean? Do we really wish that on her? No, but I mean, nobody's going to recognize her. Like they I don't see, even know right. what a Tour de France is there. Right. You know, unless they watch useful idiots, in which case we just blew her cover. Right. Right. So we'll, we'll, we should, we'll put a picture of her up on the, when we tweet yeah. the show up. Uh, so, okay. So that's I mean, no one died again. Like, the guy and the guy who won got, got to dramatically cross the finish line with some blood on his on his uh, knee. Yeah, everybody get over themselves. Yeah, get it's over themselves. It's not like the Cubs situation should, that mattered. Yeah. I think she should be made an honorary French citizen. Yeah, they should more than that. They should give her a house in Paris. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, the the food groups this week. We have a really interesting interview coming up with um, Austin Smith, who is has one of the more unusual biographies of a useful idiots guest. He's a um, former onion writer uh, and lawyer uh, who is known as the Don Quixote of student loans for a really interesting reason that we're going to get to. And he's also running for Congress in the, the first uh, congressional district in New York, which is uh, Eastern Long Island, uh, just announced his campaign. Super interesting guy. He um, I, I came across him because I'm writing a story about this uh, phenomenon in student loans that a lot of people don't know about. But if you have student loans, you probably want to hear this because you you might be eligible to discharge them and not know it. Um, so uh, he's a funny guy and very, very interesting. So let's uh, let's have a listen. Thanks for doing this. You bet. Thanks for inviting me. Hi, Katie. Hi. Nice to meet oh, yeah. you. Can you tell us a little you're running for Congress in the New York's first congressional district, which is Eastern Long Island, Hampton, Sag Harbor, Montauk. Uh, we're going to get to your, you have an extremely unusual biography, yeah. biography yeah. like, uh, but we're going to get to all of that. But can you talk about your Robert campaign? Robert Mueller? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I moved, I was, so I guess when COVID hit in March last year, uh, I was living in Manhattan and I actually moved down to DC. I was seeing a woman and uh, that sort of unfortunately fell apart, but I was down there until about uh, September. And then, you know, that sort of fell apart. So I came back to New York, I was sort of looking for an apartment and, um, you know, New York City in September was kind of, it was, it was like sort of the walking dead, you know, it was still pretty sort of, it was a ghost town and it was kind of creepy. And parts of that were kind of fun, but parts of it I thought were a little depressing. So I went out and stayed with a buddy um, in East Hampton for a weekend. And uh, I was just sort of like, you know, this is a little bit, this is a little nicer. This is a little calmer, a little sort of less, you know, post-apocalyptic. So um, I rented a house in East Hampton in September and was there through March. Um, then I came back into the city and, but it was during that time that, um, well, I mean, a couple things happened. Number one, so, you know, I was living out in the district and, you know, just sort of picking up the newspapers and I kept seeing this guy, Lee Zeldin, um, who I sort of frankly hadn't been familiar with. And, um, you know, I used to work in Republican politics, so I sort of got his sort of shtick pretty quickly. You know, it was sort of this right wing sort of fake free market sort of is going to save us thing. But, you know, still, that isn't enough to sort of launch a campaign for Congress against somebody because there's a lot of them and you'll sort of that's unfortunately, you know, you can't sort of fix that. But then when January 6th happened, I was actually in DC at that, on that day, oddly enough, um, you know, sort of do a fair amount of work through my law practice that sort of requires me to be in DC. So I was in DC that day. And I think like most of us, you know, it was pretty terrifying. Um, I mean, I think it, it was odd for me is at first, it sort of 
felt pretty cartoonish. Um, you know, it, it it sort of had this sort of opera buffoon quality to it. Like it was so stupid and like these sort of costumes were also ridiculous that it didn't really seem like right in the beginning, I thought, oh, well, this is just stupid. It's, it's sort of this play acting and it's not really, there's no sort of real risk here. And then I don't know if it was a combination of sort of really good editorials um, or like the sort of severity of it had sort of been kind of hidden from sort of the public. But that evening and then into the following days, you know, I started sort of reading some of the coverage and seeing some of the footage and it was, it, it sort of moved from sort of comic into a little bit more tragic, I thought, and quite, quite mesmerizing and terrifying at the same time. And the biggest thing for me, frankly, was, you know, that the RNC, even after January 6th, you know, they were still polling that. They were still seeing if that was going to play. And I could sort of tell that. I mean, you could tell just by reading their, their, their fundraising solicitations, looking on their website, they were very clearly not distancing themselves from it. They were and, gathering information, basically. Yeah, and I was just, I mean, I just went out of my mind. Um, and I knew some people at the RNC, and I started reaching out to them and say, hey, take that fucking website down. What the hell's wrong with you? Like, even putting aside whatever you think of sort of the merits of what happened, you guys committed the ultimate sin, according to your leader, which is you lost. So drop it, you know. And, um, and I was f- absolutely furious, um, like a lot of people were. That just sort of stayed with me. And then I came back to, to New York. And, um, and then I started seeing, you know, I assumed, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I assumed like there was going to be a mass sort of expulsion of people in Congress who sort of had participated in this. And then there wasn't. And I was sort of like, well, I guess that's a little bit to be expected. But then it was like the people who were participating in it didn't have any shame about it. Like they were still sort of like sort of pushing their narrative and, you know, I'm all for sort of freedom of speech and all that. But, you know, there's also sort of some taking responsibility for what you've done, I think, a component to that, which I did not see happening. And so that was that really got my blood boiling. And um, and I was really like, well, who like this guy seemingly thinks that he's going to be able to not only remain a congressman, but he's going to run for reelection and he's going to sort of somehow use the failed insurrection like almost as a like proof of how sort of tough he is on Republican principles. Like this is just, we have gone, we have moved into really, I think the reductio ad absurdum of this sort of, you know, this charade. That was when I was like, all right, you know what? If no one else is going to run against this guy, then I have to, if for no other reason than to just spend a year sort of throwing everything I have at him and sort of getting people to recognize what he is. Um, A patriot. A patriot. Well, you know, look, I mean, again, I will say, I mean, I, I don't believe really in any of their principles, but, you know, again, just winning or losing, you know, the founding fathers in some ways were not doing something entirely dissimilar, but they won and you guys lost. And so, you know, there's that scene from I keep thinking, uh, you know, there's no better way to sort of, uh, sort of paint your political sort of views than with sort of Tom Cruise movies. What's that movie, um, uh, The Last Samurai? where like they've lost the battle and yeah. like that corrupt Japanese guy. And he's like, he must accept his shame. He must like commit suicide. And I sort of feel like that guy, like talking to me, he's like, what are you doing? He lost, you know, finito. Anyway, so then, you know, I was sort of doing a lot of this sort of student debt work and we were, unfortunately, we kept running our heads against the wall. And, um, uh, you know, part of the problem was the, 
there's just really no penalty for breaking the law in, in so many instances, you know, and you are in some ways it's relying upon the good faith of the, the actors because, you know, their litigation, the way it works is, you know, you can put a lot of penalties on the books and you can sort of make a lot of threats. But at the end of the day, you know, a corporation, they can basically, you know, violate the law with impunity for a long time. And when they get caught, they can keep doing it for five more years. And then when things finally get a little bit risky, they can just settle. And they always end up settling for less than the value of their illegal conduct. So it's always actually financially a, a winning combination. And I found that kind of distressing. And um, so sort of for that reason, I was like, all right, well, you know what, this, we have sort of been in litigation for six years and we are not making the type of progress I would like. And uh, so those two sort of things coalesced and I was like, all right, well, if I can both sort of stick it to Lee Zeldin and or try to stick it to Lee Zeldin and sort of find some way to, you know, get into a legislative capacity where I could do something that I haven't quite figured out yet, but I'm sure once they give you sort of the power to create laws, we can find a way to create one that's actually going to have some teeth, I hope. Now that's a little bit prophecy naive because I'm sure a lot of people said that before. As they say, the definition of insanity and the definition of tenacity is pretty much the same thing. Just keep doing it until it works. Just quickly, before we move on from the student loan issue, yeah. so people understand the specifics of this, when, when we're talking about why these loans uh, might be non-dischargeable, it's because they don't fit in certain right. buckets, right? So there are some schools that might not be authorized or, or uh, right. like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, credited. Credited, right, exactly. Uh, or the person, the student might not be full-time, not, might not actually be a student, or yeah. the, the loans might be for, not be for eligible expenses. Like right. it's something you get, you use after you graduate or at some other time. Can, can you just talk yeah. about some of those things? Yeah, so I think the, the way I usually sort of you know, try to sort of summarize it is, you know, the, the bankruptcy code restricts the discharge of federally insured and federally guaranteed educational debt. Okay, so that's sort of the vast majority of education that when it comes to private loans, the term that is actually in the law is what's called a qualified education loan, which comes from the tax code because you also get tax benefits for it. And in order to be a qualified education loan, you have to have at least three things. Number one, and you have to have all three of them. You can't just have one or two. Number one, you have to be an eligible student under the Higher Education Act. And that generally means you've got to be attending school more than half time. So that cutoff is usually about six credits. So if you're only taking five credits or less, um, or you're somehow sort of enrolled less than half time, you're not what's called an eligible student. I mean, you, you might be an eligible student at the school and you probably are because they're letting you go to a class, but you're not, in, you're not in a position to incur qualified education debt. And so those loans would be fully dischargeable. The second one is, um, as you sort of pointed out, uh, eligible schools. Um, so, you know, there are thousands of uh, Title IV accredited schools that the Department of Education has sort of put their stamp of approval on. But there are thousands of schools that are not accredited. And it's not purely sort of a, these are all really bad schools. I mean, there are certainly a lot of really bad schools. But some of them, you know, are seminaries. And some of them are just sort of schools that don't want to be sort of part of the, the ecosystem of sort of the Department of Education. Um, so. If you're attending one of those, and you know they, they are far more prevalent on the West Coast than on the East Coast, but I mean California has thousands, thousands, hmm. and a, and a lot of times these banks started lending to kids at private high schools too. I mean, I actually get a fair amount of students who's it's their parents and they borrowed money for their, their children's high school, 
and high schools are just not part of the Department of Education uh, system of higher education. Sort of. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and then the third one is eligible expenses. And sort of that one's a little bit trickier, but you know, every school that is accredited by the Department of Education has to come up with what's called a cost of attendance. And it's just a sort of, it's a sum of your tuition, room, board, books, living expenses, you know, health insurance. It's sort of a, a package of how much would it cost the average student to attend this college? And so, you know, it's different for NYU and the University of Nebraska, partly just because it's a lot cheaper to live in Omaha than it is to live in Manhattan. And so when you borrow money through the, the financial aid office, they will sort of usually put this whole package together. And they'll sort of give you some scholarships and they'll give you some grants and they'll figure out some federal loans and a little private money. And they put together a whole package and you're pretty well protected. But the, the thing that happened was in about 2001, banks sort of said, well, you know, we are always the last dollar in because the Department of Education is sort of putting up the majority of the money. And, you know, we're not really interested in making $3,000, $4,000 loans. There's not enough of a margin there. So what they started doing was they started just doing direct mail. They were called what are called direct consumer loans. They would just, you know, take their list of customers who had borrowed small loans, you know, to sort of fill the gap between their federal loans and their cost of attendance and started saying, hey, you need an extra $20,000, $40,000, You know, you're a smart kid. You're going to do well, you know, borrow it from us and we'll send the check directly to your, your, your fraternity or your dormitory or your apartment or wherever you live. And you could borrow from multiple lenders in a single year. The aggregate limit was $140,000 from most from banks over a four year period. So, you know, that's where you start to run into kids who have borrowed a million dollars in student loans. And, you wow. know, I mean, I have a couple of clients, you know, who are not doctors or lawyers or Indian chiefs. They just got an undergrad degree, but they were borrowing forty dollars to $50,000 a year. And at 13% interest, you know, three years out of school, it's a million bucks. And so those loans are dischargeable because they're not for eligible expenses because they were not sort of made through the financial aid office. You know, it's really no different than a credit card when you think about it. It's like, you know, I think I used to, I got a couple of credit cards in college. And, you know, remember, I don't know if you got one too, but my limit was $500. That was right. most my credit would, but these kids were getting $40,000 in cash. I mean, it's just astounding when you think about it. And, you know, the, what the sort of conservative response is always, well, why would a bank make a loan they know couldn't be repaid? Because they're non-dischargeable and the right, bonds wait, are always good. Right. Well, not only that, but, you know, what I have learned is it's not only the problem that sort of, I think, came about in 2008, where they realized, oh, they're securitizing them and you pass the risk on to the next guy. All you have to do is be able to sell it sort of before the music stops. Well, what they also do is, as long as it's collateralized at Navient, they can borrow against that. And what they do is they artificially keep these loans looking healthy. They intentionally do not default people. So they say, look, we've got $3 billion in assets, which are just you know, consumer loans in negative amortization that are not being repaid, but are being artificially kept out of default. So Navient can borrow against that from other banks. And so, you know, when zombie I, debt. When, all right, when I realized that, I was like, oh my God. So, they are happy that the loans are growing instead of being repaid because it gives them more collateral to borrow against. This is absolutely out of control, out of control. And so that's when I tried to sort of force them into bankruptcy because I was like, look, this is a total scam in the sense that, yeah, you might have $5 billion in consumer loans on your books, 
But the true market, the fair market value of that isn't anywhere near $5 billion because you're never going to collect on it. And a lot of it's been discharged. And so, um, you know, sort of not to skip into that, but that is what sort of led me to think that this whole thing was actually some kind of new form of Ponzi scheme. And, um, and I unsuccessfully tried to sort of drag them into the bankruptcy court and sort of, you know, get the courts to sort of just dismantle them. We didn't, weren't able to do that just yet. I don't know that we won't ever, ever be able to do it, but um, that, so yeah, I mean, if you have, if you've been through bankruptcy and you've got private loans, it's always worth sort of looking into because you can generally at least settle them and get on a better payment plan. But if you've got these loans and you've been thinking about bankruptcy or you're, not, you're in a position where you know, you're unable to pay these, if they're private loans, um, you know, take a look. And there are some lawyers who, you know, this is finally starting to sort of come into the mainstream. And so, you know, when I started doing this, there really weren't a lot of lawyers who were willing to look at it. There are more now, you know, you sort of have to Google around, but, you know, depending on where you live, you can probably find someone who's got a little bit of knowledge about this and, um, and hopefully get some help. It's great stuff. Right. Um, glad to hear that you're, you're healthy. And, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Good luck in your campaign. I think we'd Thank love you. to check in with you again. We are, you know, most of it is about raising money, which is the absolutely humiliating experience. And I'm so bad at it. But um, you can also just nakedly ask our listeners to give all their the yes, remainder of their yeah, money. So, to so, yeah, so listen, please do go on my website. Oh, yeah. if it's still operational. Uh, AustinSmith2022.com. Um, we're also going to figure out a way, I think, for people to donate like junk um because um you know I, i'm trying to figure out some sort of creative way to because people always donate cash but there's actually there's a lot of other stuff you can donate that sort of larger campaigns make use of that they don't really do at a smaller level and then we can like have a you know you donate all your junk to us and then we'll have some kind of like ebay system sort of on the back end they'll turn that into cash so we're, we're working on that so stay tuned like a political cards for kids type of thing I something like that yeah, exactly yeah, right yeah, yeah exactly excellent right. excellent What's uh, an example of junk? Sorry, just last thing. Just for um, the, well, I mean, see, that's the okay. thing. So, like, you know, anything. I mean, so for instance, like, you know, if I were not the candidate, but I were sort of thinking about donating, you know, I have this. I have like a flat screen, an old flat screen TV that's been sitting in the corner for I don't know a year, and sometimes it's in a box, and sometimes it's not. It's probably worth I don't know two hundred bucks, but it's just sitting there. I could donate that to Austin Smith's political campaign. He could liquidate it. Bang, we got two hundred dollars. Well, it's all a right. great idea. Well, yeah. We love it. Yeah. 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 Excellent. All right. We got one all more right. thing. It's the anti sex, pro spite, fire, and uh, oh, kind of rummage sale. Yeah. 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 Junk for cash. Yeah. yeah junk Political for junk for cash. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love okay. it. Yeah. I love it. Excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much. And yeah, um, thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll so check in with you again soon. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye. Uh, that was great. It was. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's a man after my own heart. You also like setting things on fire? Setting things on fire, inability to, to follow rules. Right. Uh, get along with anybody consistently long term in any one place, uh, but like constantly doing something interesting. Like, yeah, like, yeah. The thing about the student loans is such a really super interesting story. And he was really the only one doing it for a really long time. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's fascinating. I was really surprised. I know, obviously, I have a slight admiration of Bernie Sanders, but I really thought he was going to say like it was the, you know, student loan stuff, the discourse. Uh, I thought the I know you were you were hunting for that. It wasn't there. I was there. really hunting for it. I kept no, trying to give him an out. He's coming from a different place, though. It's not it's not about canceling it. It's about the fact that it's illegal. Like there's right. 
I mean, I think if you asked him, yeah, course, you, yeah. if you had asked him a question, what do you think about student debt generally? He might have had an opinion along those lines, but this is this is about this one subset of loans. Right. It's just illegal, you know. Yeah. So, um, but it's interesting, definitely, and very similar to the kind of 2008 mortgage stuff where these guys were, I think, making a calculation like we can we're busted, but we're going to keep doing this for a little while because right. it's going to it's going to keep making us money, and even if we lose a suit, which we're probably not going to, it's not going to be as much as the money we're making. So let's just keep doing it. I think which yeah, is an totally. increasingly common phenomenon in, in finance. So yeah, good. I like that. Like very interesting story. Everything's in it. The drama, the Grisham legal, novel, legal yeah. thriller, Gladstone Jones. Is that what it was? Gladstone, Gladstone James. Su is it? Yeah. Such a great name. Uh, yeah. Track like, you know, near, tra near tragedy, overcoming health, uh, adversity right it's like right. a really weird euphemism for cancer health adversity health adversity i suffer from health adversity yeah i was diagnosed with health adversity other in other news uh mike gravel died the uh senator from alaska wanted to give him an r.i.p and a shout out and um he ran for president twice and he uh, read the Pentagon Papers into the congressional record. In fact, it was Tuesday marked the 50 year anniversary of his doing that. And um, he was really great during the debates. He gives us uh, he gave us like a perpetual Democrat suck uh, spiel during the, I think, 2008 uh, primary debate. And he just went after all the Dems for sucking and being a bunch of cowards. It's like going into the Senate. You know, the first time you get there, you're all excited. My God, how did I ever get here? Then about six months later, you say, how the hell did the rest of them get here? <laughs> you know, and, and I got to tell you, after standing up with them, some of these people frighten me. They frighten me. When, when you have mainline candidates that turn around and say that there's nothing off the table with respect to Iran, that's code for using nukes, nuclear devices. I got to tell you, I'm president of the United States. There will be no preemptive wars with nuclear devices. To my mind, it's immoral, and it's been immoral for the last 50 years as part of American foreign policy. Let's use a little moderator discretion here. Senator Gravel, that's a weighty charge. Who on this stage exactly tonight uh, uh, worries you uh, so much? Well, I would say the top-tier ones. The top tier ones. They made statements. Oh, Joe, I'll include you too. You have a certain arrogance. You want to you tell the Iraqis how to run their country. Uh, and you know, it's really pathetic. The New York times called him a, and he called him attention getting and grandstanding in an obit. That <laughs> Even they in wrote. death. Yeah. Yeah. In Look, an obit this guy will do anything to get in the news. And, and it's so ironic, of course, because you know, the, the Pentagon papers were published by the New York times. You'd think they'd have a little bit more appreciation for him. Right. Um, not these editors though. Not these editors. And they, Shout out to the New York Times also for having an obit that was written by someone who's died in 2018. Mm, mm -hmm. So I get that people re pre-write obituaries. In fact, Matt, we have to start doing that for our enemies. But uh, they should have at least like pretended to assign it to someone else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is not a good look when the person who's, who wrote the obituary has been dead for a while. Yeah, three years. Yeah. yeah. But I actually knew somebody who had that job. Uh, what? Who, who, who did obit pre 
Well, it, was, it was for TV. The person put obits together for TV, uh, like before they were even sick or anything like that. Um, and like, for instance, they, they, this, this person did like five different versions of Yeltsin dying because he kept, you know, getting sick over and over again. So they kept redoing the, the, the obituary, right. but yeah, uh, it's an interesting job. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, he, did you ever interview him, Mike Ravel? No. Oh, he was great. I interviewed him on my show and I actually had Dan Ellsberg on this week because he, of course, worked with Gravel. Excellent. Well, check it out at, uh, at the Kitty Helper Show. Yeah. And check us out, guys, if you're not already watching us, uh, which you probably are. Make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And to hear the rest of our interview with Austin, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. And uh, please follow us on Twitter. We have a new Twitter account. It's at usefulidiotpod. And keep using that hashtag, Useful Idiots Pod. That's right. Yeah. And uh, we'll do all those things and stay off social media completely otherwise. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Yep. I, I should Sorry. write my own book. Can we hold that. on one second? Yep. Sorry. Okay. okay. What was that? A mosquito or something? Some kind of insect. Did you anyway. kill it? I think so. All right. Like Obama. I that or I inhaled it. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Um, but here's here's my favorite. Ah. This has to go on the show. Yeah, definitely, yeah. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.